So when Karen and I were, were first married, our first year, we had a, uh, what do you call it, a situation? <laughs> we, we had a situation, a, a, a person in our lives that, that made kind of life kind of miserable. You know what I'm talking about? It's, it's interesting how much somebody outside your home can affect what's going on inside your home, right? And a uh, pretty difficult person to deal with. I, I probably would put it kind of under the category of, of abusive. And, and you know, Karen and I, we, we really wanted to try to handle it like a Christian. I mean, we talked about, we, we thought about, we, we tried to, hey, what, what would be loving here? What would be forgiving here? What, what does grace look like? How do we help? And, and of course, as we were trying to do all that, man, we are, we are praying. We are praying a lot about this situation. And I can say pretty confidently after doing that for, for a year that it, it made absolutely no difference at all. Uh, I mean, that's probably not the appropriate way. N- none that we could see. Not, none that we could really tell. Nothing seemed to be any better. And, and you know what? That's stressful, isn't it? When you're trying to do something and nothing works, when you're hurting, when you're frustrated, you know, you're trying and it just doesn't come together. That's a very stressful way of life. And we were getting stressed in dealing with that. As a matter of fact, we noticed, I don't remember how far into our first year it took before we noticed this, but we noticed that anytime we dealt with this situation, that within about 30 minutes, we were arguing. And, and it wasn't because she said or did something wrong or I said or did something wrong. I think it was just that we were walking around like this, right? You know, where we were, we were, as we dealt with the situation, we were wound pretty tight. And when you're wound like this, what happens when you bump into somebody? You know what I'm, have you been there? Do you know this house I'm talking about? I, I, I mean, and, and that's, and you know, the funny thing is once we noticed it, hey, do you, you realize every time we deal with this, about 30 minutes, yeah, and, and you know, kind of once we identified it, it was, it was a, I wouldn't say easy, but it was a lot easier to handle. It, it was a lot easier to address. But, but still, the bottom line is, man, when you're suffering, there's a lot of stress. There's a lot of getting wound very tight that goes with that. Well, you know, as we've walked now, uh, we're moving our way through the summer, studying these letters from First and Second Peter, or one Peter, two letters. Uh, as we've studied that, man, it's about suffering, right? And, and kind of one thing that hasn't been addressed in that is just the 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 the, the, uh, the stress that goes with that. Hey, listen, just because we're trying to live for the Lord or follow Jesus or say that we believe this book doesn't mean there won't be stress in that. It's it's very stressful when we're suffering. And and so Peter does now, as we come to the end of the first letter, we're finally arriving there eight weeks later. uh, As we come to the end of this first letter, he, he begins to address that stress. As a matter of fact, I I want to tell you before we even read it, kind of be listening for verses 5 and 7, because there's a message there, I think, that speaks to us emotionally. How are we going to emotionally navigate the stress we're under 
when we're trying to follow the Lord, when we're trying to obey the Lord, when we're suffering because of that? How, how do we emotionally navigate that? And, and I think you're going to see some answers there. Let's look at the, the last chapter, First Peter chapter 5. And as I've said each week, fastest way to get there, just go to the end of your Bible, Revelation, and back up a few pages. First Peter chapter 5, and I'm going to begin reading in verse 1. 1 Peter chapter 5, verse 1. And now a word to you who are elders in the churches. I too am an elder and a witness to the sufferings of Christ. And I too will share in his glory when he is revealed to the whole world. How many times have we heard that now? It's four. I'll answer the question. <laughs> I mean, only five chapters, four times. Folks, if you walk away from 1 Peter with nothing but one idea, this... The only way I get through today is keep looking forward to that day. I mean, I mean that really is. That's the whole, the whole five chapters. That, that's today. The only way I'm going to get through today is looking forward to that day. Over and over, Peter takes us to that day that Christ is revealed to all the world. By the way, hadn't it been a pretty long time since he promised? Like 2,000 years? How long do we... You know what? We're going to deal with that in the second letter from Peter, because that's a pretty obvious question. Where is he? Okay, let's keep reading. Uh, As a fellow elder, I appeal to you, care for the flock that God has entrusted to you. Watch over it willingly, not grudgingly, not for what you will get out of it, but because you're eager to serve God. Don't lord it over the people assigned to your care, but lead them by your own good example. And when the great shepherd appears, you will receive a crown of never-ending glory and honor. In the same way, you who are younger must accept the authority of the elders. By the way, this younger and elder thing has nothing to do with age. We'll come back to that. And all of you, all of you, dress yourselves in humility as you relate to one another. For God opposes the proud but gives grace to the humble. So humble yourselves under the mighty power of God. And at the right time, there is a time. It's the exact right and perfect time. At the right time, he will lift you up in honor. Give all your worries and cares to God, for he cares about you. Wherever you are, whatever you're doing today, man, go home with that. God cares for you. Verse 8, so humble your, uh, stay alert. (laughs) Verse 8, stay alert. Watch out for your great enemy, the devil. He prowls around like a roaring lion, looking for someone to devour. Stand firm against him and be strong in your faith. Remember that your family of believers all over the world is going through the same kind of suffering you are. You're not alone in what you're dealing with. Our church is not alone in what is dealing We're not alone today. We're not alone in time. This is common all over the world. In his kindness, God called you to share in his eternal glory by means of Christ Jesus. So after you have suffered a little while, he will restore, support, and strengthen you. He will place you on a firm foundation. All power to him forever. Amen. 
I have written and sent this short letter to you with the help of Silas, whom I commend to you as a faithful brother. My purpose in writing is to encourage you and assure you that you are ex- what you are experiencing is truly a part of God's grace for you. Now, that's, a, that's kind of an, an incredible line right there. What, what's he, when he says what you're experiencing, he's talking about our suffering. Hey, what you're experiencing is God's grace for you. You know, grace literally means gift. The suffering we're going through, that's God's gift for you. So stand firm in that gift. Stand firm in this grace. Your sister church here in Babylon sends you greetings, and so does my son Mark. That's Mark who wrote the gospel of Mark. Greet each other with a kiss of love. Peace be with all of you who are in Christ. Uh, the letter starts off by addressing elders, and as I said a moment ago, this, these two words, elders and younger, uh, are, are not an issue of our age. It's kind of, you know, I think it's tough coming up with the right words, because you see, our, our walk in Christ, our life in Christ is not measured with a birthday, is it? I mean, if you're trying to think of a spectrum, well, I've, I've walked with Christ two years. I've walked with Christ ten years. Do you know that number of years could mean absolutely nothing at all? I imagine you know, you've seen, I mean, there, there's people that have been Christians for, for two or three years, and whatever it is they did during that time, on the other side of that two or three years, they, they have the maturity, they have the knowledge, they have the, the strength of somebody that is journeying with Christ for 30 years. And sadly, vice versa is true also. There, there are people who can say, Man, I, I, you know, I came, I came to Christ in 1988. And they're really not any further along with the Lord than they were in 1989. A variety of reasons that will happen. That's not our focus today. But in this elder and younger, that's kind of what is being pointed to there. And and the word elder actually isn't just talking about, you know, those of us that that are furthest along. It's actually referring to me. Elder throughout the New Testament is synonymous with or used interchangeably with pastor. So when it says elders, it's it's talking about me or our pastoral staff here at the Heights, Buddy and Mike out at, at Midlothian. It's talking to us elders. Now remember the background is we're suffering, we're hurting, we're really trying to honor the Lord and we're catching it in the teeth for it. And now he turns to our relationships. Why? Because we're stressed and when we're stressed, Stressed, it's real easy to bump into each other and go blah. And so, first, in the, you know, in this equation of relationships inside the church, he he starts with the pastor, and, he, I, and I like the word elder. It makes me sound very seasoned, very <laughs> smart. Yeah, when I first came here in in two thousand two, and I I was not I was thirty seven. I'm not that wasn't a child. Okay, well, when I got here in 2002, I, more times than I can count, over 20 times, I, I heard this phrase or this statement in, in my first couple of months. You're the first pastor I've ever had that's younger than me. Because, you know, usually think about it, pastors like that old dude with gray hair up there, right? And believe me, I'm working on it as fast as I can, Okay. You know, but he, he, the pastor, a pastor is always that, that, that old guy. But you know, you stop and think about it. You're, you're getting older. And, and as you go along in the life of the church, sooner or later, they need a, they need a new pastor and bada boom, bada bing, your pastor's this young thing, right? 
And, and, you know, and, and you know, when you think about this whole relationship, I mean, that, that can be kind of hard, you know, if, if he's like 30 years younger than you. I mean, you, you, you kind of got to measure that there. But again, what we're looking for is, is the seasoning of that 27-year-old, that 37-year-old. And, and, and when it says, when it refers to us as elders, does that mean the pastor always is the smartest one in the room? Always the furthest along in Christ? Not really. I mean, you would hope when you're referring to them as an elder, they're batting for average, right? You'd like to think this, right? Wouldn't you be a little disappointed if, if I, you know, didn't know certain things, wasn't doing certain things? You kind of anticipate the, the pastors at least somewhat out there up in the front in the crowd. I can assure you here, here at the Heights, we have a, a significant number of people who, man, I, I respect, I look up to their biblical knowledge, their, their theological knowledge. I, I, I want to catch up with that a little bit. There, there's people whose witness, whose obedience I look up to. I, I have watched some of you not just go through a moment, but, but even well beyond that moment, I've watched your faith. And I'll, I'll tell you what, I've been very challenged. I, I watch you and I think, do I, do I have, would I have faith like that? If I was going through that... You know, so being an elder doesn't mean I'm necessarily out in front in every category of the the Christian life. Our our, our church will be filled with people that are out in front also. Praise the Lord, right? That's a good thing. But but we certainly hope the pastor's out there. and, And as Peter is talking about our relationship, he says, hey, you know, elders, and I'm one of you, he, he says to us, man, listen, as you're serving, it should never look like you're stuck there. I, I got this job because I got stuck. I wasn't at the meeting and I got the assignment, you know? You, you, you shouldn't look like it's a dread. Man, this should be your joy. This should be your life, your service. Man, don't look like you're in it for the money. You know, I love that line for this reason, just because so many people look at the Bible as archaic and out of date, and it was just written at another time and another. I mean, folks, what is one of the, what is one of the top four or five things that people look at the church about? I mean, they kind of have a negative view a lot of times, and by the way, I don't think they're always right. But they do have this tendency to have negative view about church and money. And, and church is the kind word, the pastor and money, Right? Peter wrote that 2,000 years ago. Hey, this is going to be an issue. And he didn't even have televangelists back then. <laughs> they didn't have TVs, right? But this is an issue. And he says, guys, you, you know, it can't look like you're in it for the money. It almost really, people ought to assume you'd be doing this whether you were getting paid or not. Be getting paid is just icing. And man, hey, listen, elders, in just a few verses, I'm going to lose my mind and I'm going to tell them to respect and obey your authority. Don't abuse that. Don't don't use your authority to, to, to control, to manipulate. Don't get stuck thinking that because you said it, it must be from God. That because you said it, you must be. You know what your leadership should be about, pastors? It, it should be about modeling Christ. That's what you're thinking about leading. You're, you're, you're thinking about modeling Christ and, and leading in a way to a, a better future for us in, individually and, and as a whole. That, that's what we're, we're leading toward. 
And, and so he's looking in this relationship, remember the background, we're suffering, we're hurting. When we're suffering and hurting, we're stressed, we're doubting, we, we can bump into each other. And so he says, pastors, this really needs to be shaping how you live. And, and then he says to the congregation, hey, respect their authority. Yeah, I know he's 30 years younger than you. It happens every now and then. Deal with it. Yeah, you know what? You, you know what? You will never have a pastor on planet earth that you don't doubt. You're, why, why, why is he doing that? What a, not only doubt, sometimes just straight up disagree with. I, I, I disagree with what he, with what they are doing. I mean, that's not ever going to not be the case. Hopefully it doesn't happen a whole bunch, but it's going to happen somewhere. And he says, yeah, in all of that, respect his authority. And then we look to heaven and we say, Lord, have you seen some of these yahoos you call elders? <laughs> and so that's where Peter then, knowing what he's just called all of you to do, says, hey, you know what, man, we're going to have to be humble here. Not, not just you, not just me, all of us, we, we've got to be Humble. Listen, if we're going to navigate the stress of suffering, remember, he's particularly talking about how in that stress we can end up turning against each other. Man, man we've, got, we've got to be humble. Why, why is humility so important? Because in pride, I'm just not going to put up with suffering. I, I, in my pride, I have rights. I have a right not to suffer. I have a right not to suffer. I have a right to be appreciated. I have a right to a good day. I have a right to not be annoyed by you. I've got a right to not deal with your weaknesses and problems. I've, I've got a right to always understand what is going on in life. I've got a right to always like what is going on in life. And, and every one of us lives with these thoughts. Sometimes we're expressing them toward a government. Sometimes we're expressing them toward our mate. Sometimes we're expressing it towards this school, toward the, the church, and, and even sometimes toward God. You know, anger this way is never anger just this way. Horizontal anger sooner or later turns vertical. Because he could have fixed it, right? He could have made you not so annoying to deal with. He, He could have made my day better. He could have given me that. He could have stopped that. I mean, we believe God has all power, right? So if these bad things are happening, if I'm suffering, then what's God doing? I mean, what's the point of God other than my happiness? Well, that doesn't sound right. You know, my guess is a lot of us probably are astute enough not to think the sole purpose of God is our happiness. We, we, we won't say it like that, but, but folks, that thought runs through us. It sure does. It might come out more like this. Say, Lord, you know... And Karen and I have really, man, we've been trying to pray about this. And we, we're trying to do what the Bible says. And this thing is just getting worse and worse. And it hurts more and more. And, and you know what? We won't finish that prayer by saying, what's the point? Our actions will say, what's the point? See, since there is no real point, since you're not fixing what I want, then why, why pray? So our prayer drops a little bit, our worship drops a little bit, our witness drops a little. By the way, you can go to church every single Sunday. Ritual 
is not living life in Christ. And these things start to drop. Why? Because they're not working. And we never really actually stop and put two and two together that, you know what, my using a formula, my saying life isn't working, isn't actually the determinant of the reality of God and his right to be worshipped. But we make them that in our pride. You know what, in our pride, I, I think we, I think this is a good illustration. We make God a genie in a bottle. I mean, what's a genie? A genie can do anything, right? A genie can give you anything you want. But boy, if he's not performing and I'm done with him and I'm not back in the bottle and I put the top on and I will call on you and I will let you out when I all power when I need it. And right now I'm just not feeling it. So away you go. See, in our pride, we, folks, it takes humility to trust God. It takes humility to keep praying when you don't see answers. It takes humility to keep obeying when in your mind it's not popping out the product on the other end that, that sets you to obeying. It, it takes humility to do that. When it says put yourself under the mighty power of God or under the mighty hand of God, I'm yielding to, I'm coming up under his plan that clearly I don't like at this moment. Clearly I don't understand at this moment. But I think, I mean, being humble toward each other, we, we might argue about whether that really works or not. But doesn't it make a little bit of sense to be humble under God? Because he knows so much more than I do. I mean, I, I, you know, I'm not happy with things because I'm looking at what happened yesterday, what was said yesterday, and I'm interpreting that and trying to think about it today. But do you know that you and I have never interpreted yesterday accurately ever? You've not one day in your entire life interpreted yesterday accurately. I'm not saying you interpreted it wrong. I'm not saying you messed it up completely. I'm just saying you and I never have 100% accurate working knowledge of why they said that, of why they act that way. And, and we're going to take our thoughts and then determine our response, our response toward them, our response toward life, our response toward God. And we don't even have accurate information. And guess what? We have even less than that about tomorrow. But you know who does who can look at yesterday and tomorrow perfectly with absolute dead-on accuracy. As a matter of fact, I don't know how he does it, but God looks at yesterday and tomorrow the exact same. They're not different for him. So, you know, hey, God, you're actually working with all the information. And everything you do is good. You've promised that. Good is defined by you. God is not yielding to a definition of good. He is the good. So whatever he is doing with all of this information will be, is good. Ought to rest under that. Ought to humble myself under that. God, I don't see it. I can't put, I can't connect the dots. And Lord, you didn't sneak up on me. You didn't change the rules. You told me in your word that I wouldn't always be able to connect the dots. You told me in your word I wouldn't always be able to see. I wouldn't always be able to understand. But you told me you're always good. You told me you're always in control. You told me this will fulfill your purposes. So God, I'll keep, I'll keep praying. I'll keep witnessing. I'll keep worshiping. I'll keep loving. I'll keep forgiving. I'll keep serving. I, I, I'll keep doing this. And I'll, and I'll wait. I'll wait till justice is done. Because you've promised it's going to be done. 
I'll wait till wrongs are righted because you promised the wrongs would be right. I'll wait till I'm rewarded because you told me last week. Remember when we were reading 1 Peter last week? He told us last week, hey, when you suffer for doing right, you will be rewarded. That's a promise. So I will. You know what? Wait takes humility too, doesn't it? Think of every one of these words in which you and I relate with God. It absolutely demands humility because guess what? You don't wait on somebody that you don't respect. And you don't wait on somebody that doesn't have something you need. It takes humility to look up with respect. It takes humility to be dependent. To say you've got something I need. There are people we might be angry and we might be mad but we'll wait. And there are people right. I have 30 more seconds and I'm out of here. I don't say that to somebody that I need something from them. I don't, I don't say that to somebody I look up to. Man, it takes humility to wait. And, and to humility, Peter adds clarity. We, we've got to be clear. Three times now. This is another kind of a repet, repetitive thing in First Peter. Three times he's told us to be sober. None of those three times are actually about drinking. And none of those are about drinking and drunkenness, except that it is. When he's telling us to be sober, he's telling us to be the opposite of drunkenness, right? When somebody is drunk, they're fuzzy-headed. They're fuzzy in their thinking. They're fuzzy in their interpretation. They're fuzzy in their understanding. We, we've got to be the opposite of that. We've got to be absolutely clear. Clear about what? About who our enemy is. You've got to be clear about who the enemy is because he is a terrible and awful enemy. Jesus calls him a liar and a murderer. That's quite a one-two punch, isn't it? That means every time that he's luring, encouraging, whispering into your ear and my ear to lie, to steal, to cheat, to, to get revenge, to do, every time he's doing that, he's lying to us. He's lying to us that that's the best way, that that's the right way, and he's doing it for a purpose. Ultimately, it's to murder you. There's a desire in, in the enemy in giving you what you want. It is to murder you. Now, before we get too overwhelmed by the enemy, let's not give the enemy too much credit. Satan is not the bad part of God. Satan is not an equal to God. Th- think about how universal it is in religion and in spirituality to kind of picture, to kind of have in mind this great cosmic battle between good and evil, between light and dark, right and wrong, the the, the bad force and the good force. The Scripture doesn't teach anything like that at all. God is not locked in a cosmic battle with Satan, and and boy, we're sure riding the odds that he's going to win. There's never been anything that Satan has done that God said, whew, that was a good shot. Now what? Not once. He's not in a battle. God is the creator and Satan is a creature. Absolutely limited in his knowledge, in his power, in his authority, in his existence. There is nothing about Satan that is an equal to who and what God is, just the bad side. Nothing. Satan is not everywhere present. Satan is a created being just like you and me. He is in one spot at a time. Now his influence can be felt with the help of all of the demon horde. But but even with Satan and all of his demons, they don't cover everywhere. 
They are limited. They do not have all knowledge. Satan is smart. I mean, if nothing else, he, he has observation in his bag, right? I mean, he's been around for a long time and he's observed. And you know what he's observed is that you and me are incredibly predictable. And since we are incredibly predictable, then he knows exactly what to dangle in front of you to get the desired response. Oh, he's incredibly smart about you and about me, but he's not all knowing. He can give you and I things. Hey, I can give you that faster than God can. Hey, we can get that in a way that feels really good right now. Hey, we can get, you can enjoy kind of, but he always has a purpose in what he gives. What does it say here? It's to devour you. He wants to devour you into into darkness, into hopelessness. Wants to devour you in a pursuit of pleasure and happiness. He wants to devour you and me so that we will worship anything and everything other than the one who's worthy of it. That's his goal in every word and every act in your life and in my life. And here's the challenge is we just really give no thought to Satan, do we? Maybe don't even believe in him. You know, I mean, I'm really working at just saying I believe in the Bible and believe in Jesus, but the guy in the red suit and the pitchfork, I don't know. It seems a little weird. I don't know that I can... I can. That, that's fine, Whatever, wherever you are on that. But, but the problem is then that you and I head into each day fighting the wrong enemy in the wrong war. And I can promise you, if you're fighting the wrong enemy in the wrong war, your current level of stress, just multiply it by 100. I mean, you think you're frustrated now, constantly fight the wrong enemy and see where that takes a frustration level. And some of us, it's not a wait and see, we're already there. So what does Peter say? You've got, you've got to be clear. You've got, you've got to be clear in your prayers. You've got to be clear as you look at people and as you interpret the situation and the problem. You've, you've got to be clear about what's going on inside of you and where those thoughts and ideas are coming from. You've got to be clear about who the enemy is. And, and to clarity and to humility, Peter adds victory. Oh, I, I love verse 10. That's one of my favorites in the, in the whole Bible. Man, suffering is not my forever. God's glory is my forever. I don't think I ever have y'all repeat after me. <laughs> but I, 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 can we just, suffering is not my forever. Can we say that together? Suffering is not my forever. One more time, suffering is not my forever. What is my forever? God's glory is my forever. Living and sharing, enjoying the, the glory and the power and the presence of God. That's my, that's my forever. And, and, and I love these, these words right here. I, 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 look, look what it says here. If you still have your Bible open, it, it says that uh, after you've suffered a little while, he will, he will restore. You ever lost anything while you were suffering? Lost a friend, lost money, lost time, lost reputation, lost a job. That's true right here and right now, but, it, but, but losing things is not your forever. Having it all restored, that, that's your forever. It, it says you're going to be supported. You ever felt abandoned, alone, don't, don't have what you need to take on the next day? That's not your forever. The, the Calvary is coming. 
The Lord of hosts with the, with the angels of heaven are on the way. Support is your friend. How about strength? Ever felt weak? Into your rope? Into your day? I got no answers. I, I, I have no way to approach. That's not your forever. Strength is your forever. You're going to be on a firm foundation. Hey, listen, when you're firm, what are you? You're confident. You're secure. Confidence, security, strength. That is your forever. Now, the only part of this verse I don't like is that word after. (laughs) Could we scratch out the word after? All that comes after we've suffered a little while. Loss, loneliness, weakness, doubt and fear. That is very much a part of right here and right now. But it's not our forever. After we do this. And and you know, I'm stunned by that phrase. I said it when I was reading it. that, that, That what I'm going through right now is God's grace. It's God's gift. It's God's gift to me. That I go through this time. Why is that a gift? It seems like if God was really God and could really do the stuff I wanted him. This, these are the exact things I would not be experiencing. But it's these things that help me understand what Christ dealt with. Christ was abandoned. Christ was falsely accused. Christ was rejected. Christ was lied about. Talked bad about. All he ever did was love. All he ever did was the right thing. He was physically abused, emotionally abused. He was attacked in every way. And when I go through those things, I have a little bit more understanding. See, I'm a part of the suffering. I'm a part of the problem. Jesus was not a part of the problem. And he walked through that on purpose for you and for me so that we could have a forever that is defined by none of the things that we go through now. And as I go through these things and I realize, wait, did Christ experience this? He chose to experience this for me and my rescue. See, suffering makes me a partner with Christ because it helps me appreciate more of how deep his love is and what he did so that I could be rescued. So then Peter says, stand firm in that opportunity. Stand firm in the opportunity to remain faithful to Christ when you're suffering because you told somebody that you know him. Stand firm on this word when you're suffering because you told somebody that you believe what is in here. Stand. How do I stand firm? It's so hard. Yeah, it is hard. Got to be humble. Got to be clear about who the real enemy is. Keep your eye on that day. I know right now seems like forever, but it's not forever. And a day is coming. And his glory will be revealed to all the world. And you will be a part of that glory. Let's pray. Thank you, Lord, for acknowledging the difficulty of where I live. Thank you for understanding that I I, I don't always do well in that difficulty. I thank you that you've provided forgiveness. 
I thank you that you've provided answers through your word. And I thank you that you've provided a hope that what we're going through today is not our, is not my forever. Your glory. Your glory is my forever. So till that day comes, help me, help us keep our eyes on that. In Jesus' name we pray. Amen.